If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Our guest today is Tim Corkin. Tim's got a background in dressage show jumping eventing in a couple of countries. He's sort of gone between Australia, the UK, Australia, the UK. He's got a bit of a unique perspective on training and assessing coaches. His background is a general dressage show jumping and eventing. He probably specialises a bit more in dressage now. He's a trainer, coach and coach educator and also breeds performance horses. How are you today, Tim? I'm very good, thank you. And you, Glennis? Good, good. Tim, we normally start off with a favourite quote. Have you got one for us? I have. This is actually a quote of Miguel Tavares I've been having lessons with for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And basically, your training should enable your horse to be able to do what you want it to do. And I think that's, uh, I've used that for all my teachings for the last, as I say, 20 years. That's a good one too because, you know, even though Miguel was a great dressage trainer, if you want to train your horse to jump, do Western, do stock work, whatever, yeah, you train your horse to do what you want it to do. That's right. I, I think we, we so often forget that horses have got to be athletes and even more so nowadays. And, yes, I know we're breeding better and better horses, but they are at the end of the day athletes and there are very few superstars out there and most of us can't afford them anyway. So what we're doing is taking very willing horses and looking at where their problems are and also where their strengths are and adapting our training towards that and producing, hopefully, a very, very good horse that will do what we want it to do easily. Mm, mm. Now, Tim, how did you start with horses? What were your first memories there? Well, funnily enough, we actually, I've got a bit of a checkered history with Australia because we emigrated here in 1960 and I grew up here and learned to ride here and we used to go it sounds a bit strange but we used to go to the tip in Coldstream which is in Victoria and I used to moon over these horses and my aunt realised that I wanted to do something about riding because on, on the way to the tip was a, a stud and, mm-hmm. and the horses were out in the paddock and my aunt realised I wanted to ride and she paid one for one birthday for a few lessons for me with a guy called Eric Blinden who was in, um, in Croydon and uh I turned up at his riding school, my aunt took me, and, and she's really responsible for me starting to ride. So, And then I was bought a pony called Jimmy, and I started riding him bareback because he couldn't afford a saddle. And we lived in suburbia, so he spent the night in the backyard, and then I'd ride him every morning up to the Lemon Orchard, which is about three or four kilometres away, mm-hmm. tether him out there, and they'd keep an eye on him all day, and then I'd come home from school and ride him back again. <laughs> and... We had a, a group of people who used to disappear every weekend up to a place called the, the Thousand Acres up on Glasgow Road near Montrose. I don't know, even know whether it's still there now. We used to play catch chasing with the horses and our parents would see us from 6 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock at night, both days. Mm-hmm. I was probably about 14 or 15 then. And then in 1970, my parents decided that we were going to go back to England and it was absolutely devastating to me. So Jimmy was sold. And off we went from February summer here to 
February depths of winter in the UK. I thought my all my world had come crashing down. But it was actually the best that could have happened to me because schooling-wise, I was two years behind the UK system. Mm-hmm. So I went into as a working pupil at a place called Heather Hall Riding School in um, Nottinghamshire, and. Uh, this is Q, who was an IIH, which is Institute of the Horse, which is before the British Horse Society, was an old school, riding school person, and we were put through the mill, and that's where I did my BHSAI in about 1971, and that sort of started me off. Mm-hmm. So you didn't really, you know, I mean, you sort of went straight then from school straight into horses. Yeah, and that was your career then. That's right, because being torn out of the Australian life and back into the British life, I was really a square peg in a round hole. I don't know where I would have ended up if I hadn't gone into horses, yep. which has sort of been really good for me because I really like people who are square pegs in round holes and it sort of led to something I'm going to talk about later and, mm-hmm. and something I really enjoy doing. And it, it, I, I'll be honest with you, teaching gave me a lot of confidence and made me. I was terrified the first time I taught. And I just loved it in the end and couldn't get enough of it. And riding horses, I was never a talented rider, but by going through the British Horse Society system, and that's a riding school system, you are encouraged to ride dozens of horses. And that's what I did. And that's what improved my riding and my coaching as well. Mm-hmm. And so I got into the habit of looking at horses with individuals rather than as a horse. Yep, yep. Now, if someone wants to get into that career, you know, they're still at school or thinking about having a career with horses, what are the core skills or character traits that you think they need? What is it that you see in yourself now that you actually had that kept you in the horse industry? Determination. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm wanting to absolutely do it. I mean, we worked certainly as a working pupil, we actually, my parents paid for me to be there and we worked six days a week. We worked from six o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night. None of us were allowed in until the last saddle was cleaned after the last ride. The horses had to be bedded down properly. They had to be checked again at 10 o'clock. It's the old school way of doing it. I'm not saying we need to go back to that way, but it's certainly to survive that sort of life in the UK certainly set me up for riding and horses later on because if you don't have that determination and that stubbornness and never to give up, you'll never make it in horses, whether you're talking about riding or whether you're talking about coaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the best thing about working with horses or working in the horse industry? You're working with an animal. Mm-hmm. To me, working with, with a horse is like solving a puzzle. And I... Every day, you've got a new challenge. You've got a new type of horse. And in some ways, young horses are much easier to work with than some of the horses I get. I've done a lot with thoroughbreds. I competed thoroughbreds when I was younger. And thoroughbreds come to you. They're often have been on drugs. They have ulcers. They have all sorts of issues. And you have to find a way through. And at the end of the day, if you can produce a really nice horse and give it a much better life because you've applied things you've learned over the years, then that to me is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Not many people get to do that in their jobs. And I'm very lucky I, I do. Yep. Yep. Now thinking about your career, you talked about Heather Hall, Mrs. Q. Who else has been influential in your career? Oh, Miguel, of course. 
Yeah, Miguel probably is the biggest influence on my life. The last 20 years, I've had lessons from no one else but him. And I, as you know, he, he recently was very sick and, and died just before Christmas. And it's probably one of the biggest tragedies of my life. Mm. I just, I cannot believe that he's gone because it's just left such a big hole in my life. But at the end of the day, He's left a huge legacy, in, and not just me, but in other people. And he's given the horse world in Australia that huge legacy, which is fantastic. So I think he should be very proud to, to have produced a lot of pupils around the world that, that carry on his teachings. Mm, mm. I think the other influences in my life, I worked for Tim Grubbs, who was um, in Los Angeles' British team, uh, show jumping. For a number of years, for probably a couple of years, and he was an amazing man, very talented rider, and I got a lot from him. And I'm not a pure show jumper, but I got a huge amount from him. And I also worked for a woman called Manny Bevan um, in those those years as well. And she had a very bad accident. She was an up and coming show jumper, and she got kicked in the face, and she had to overcome a huge amount. She, she had to give up her career show jumping, but she did a lot for my riding, and actually taught me to ride warm blood. Mm-hmm. because uh, she had a, a very fat old warm blood that I could not get to canter even. And it was only when she took me down to Hickstead and picked a fight with me and got me to the point where I was just going to take absolutely nothing from him and he went in and won a class. And that's before that, I couldn't even get him to canter. <laughs> she taught me a huge amount from that point of view. And, and good about people reading too, you know, if she's sort of just got you at the right point where you would just have to be assertive enough to go out there and do it, yeah. That's right, exactly right. And I think that's uh, the mark of a good coach as well. He's able to read people mm. and read horses as well and yep. be able to bring the best out in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other person I think who has been a huge influence in my life is Christian Green. Not that I've had a huge amount to do with her, but strangely enough, her and Miguel, even though one's a cross-country coach and the other one's a dressage coach, were so similar in, in what they did because they wanted the horse to carry itself and to look after itself mm-hmm. and to use its brain. She was just amazingly good at doing that. She teaches defensive riding, and I've watched her doing some clinics over in Australia, and I actually got to talk to her at one of the clinics, and I was so tongue-tied, I actually couldn't talk to her, you know, when you look at look up to somebody like that. But she's just an amazing rider, and watching her at Burley and Badminton year after year when I was based over in the UK, she was just astounding. She should have... Any other rider in some of her situations would have fallen off, but because she was so good at staying on a horse and leaving it alone when it needed her to just sit there and quietly, it was just astounding. Yeah, I'll never forget watching her do that. Okay, okay. Tim, I'm going to interrupt here a bit because I didn't get the name that you said. Lucinda Green. Oh, Lucinda. Sorry, I thought it was a French name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, she spent a lot of time in Australia, so that's good. Mm. All right. Now, a horse who's influenced you in your career, who do you think that would be? You know, you've got, you've had, you know, you've had your own horses, you've bred them and you've had your stallion. And But um, is there one that you think has been outstanding or you want to name a couple? I think the, the main horse for me would have been a little horse called Spanish Main. Um, Hoppy, his name was. And he was a little thoroughbred. He wouldn't have been more than 16, 16, one. 
And I worked for a, a woman, and she owns and it was a place called Wellow Park Stables. And I worked there for five years. And uh, she introduced me to, her name was Margaret Willett, and she introduced me to Hoppy. Mm-hmm. And he was just a, an ordinary little thoroughbred with very flat feet. And I started venting him and eventually got him to two star. And I have never known a little horse with such a big heart. I'll never forget going, accidentally jumping the last fence on a course. And it looked very big to me. It was a big hedge. And I thought, this, this isn't a two-star. I'm sure it isn't. Anyway, it wasn't. It was a three-star thing. Oh, and you jumped the it wrong It was right one. next door. Mm-hmm. And I jumped the wrong one. Got eliminated. But to see this little horse's front legs come out in front of him so far up, they were nearly touching his ears. Mm-hmm. And have and try was just amazing. He didn't have a lot of ability. He had flat feet. But, oh, he taught me so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he would either win his dressage or he would come last. There was no in between. <laughs> and, you know, you could be working him in just beautifully and he'd be going really well. And a little pony would trot by and he'd just say, no, not doing this anymore. And the worst test I ever did with him, he leapt from in canter, just leapt around. He didn't trot. He didn't walk in any way, shape or form. But the next week he went out and won. So mm-hmm. you just you couldn't tell. But he taught me so much. And that really cemented my sort of love of thoroughbreds. I know I'm on, into warm bloods now, but, but if you get a good thoroughbred, you can't beat them because mm-hmm. they try. And that finding a way through to get him winning was just a real journey and it taught me a lot, you know. You don't have to have a superstar to have a lot of fun on a horse. Yep, yep, yep. The other horse is Balmoral Kinsman, that's Tosh, and, and he's the only stallion I've ever had. And just to buy a, a yearling, and then work it up to sort of medium. He was just a lovely horse, and he was great to handle and serve mares with. He was just an absolute, you know, really nice stallion. No, most people didn't even know he was a stallion when he went out. Mm-hmm. And I think, though, he was by Balmoral Boy, which is a very well-known stallion. And um, I'll never forget that horse because of, of how much he improved my dressage. And, and I spent a lot of time with Miguel with him, and Miguel really liked him as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are your proudest moments, do you think? My proudest moments are two, actually, and they're very different. The first one is the day I learned that I got my British Horse Society Instructor Certificate. Mm-hmm. That, to me, I'd come from a non-horsey background and worked my way up, and I did I did my eye virtually on my own, and it's a pretty good thing to get. I'll never forget, I thought I'd failed everything, and to learn that I got that. So that was one, because that sort of said to me, okay, I've sort of made my way up here and if I can do it, anybody can do it. And funnily enough, a lot of people from Mrs Q's place actually went on and went up and got their eye and they went to different countries and did very, very well. So I think that training ground was fantastic and that's what I love is that structure of the British Horse Society. It's a riding school-based system. It's not perfect, but by crikey, it gives people the if you're not horsey, it can get you into horses. Where in this country, you really have to own your own horse to be able to to get into horses and even get into coaching, unless you're very lucky. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, I and this brings me to something I'm really getting a little bit more passionate about, is I taught two Aboriginal girls who'd come through 
the um, youth justice system, mm-hmm. and both had been in really bad homes. Um, and I taught them to ride, and to see the look on their faces when they had their lesson was just fantastic. And one girl went on, and she had a little baby, and she, as far as I know, she got her act together. The other girl, unfortunately, is in a lot of trouble. But this is something that, you know, I, I really enjoy doing. And certainly from my own point of view, it's that the horse has got me into a career that I could actually go somewhere in. And mm-hmm. being a square peg in a round hole, I think horses can do that for people. Mm-hmm. Good on you. And the girl who you said might be in a bit of trouble, she'll always remember that riding. She'll always remember that. And uh, life goes on. She might end up coming back to it. So, you know, we'll just see how things go. I hope she does because for these kids, you know, especially the Aboriginal kids, they're natural athletes. Mm, mm. And so when they ride a horse, they're usually pretty good. And that's probably the only thing they've ever been good at. And probably got that affinity, the natural affinity with the animals too. Absolutely. Mm, and and mm. to see the look on their faces and they forget the fact that their father's an alcoholic and their mother's a drug user. For that one hour, mm. they are just riding a horse mm. and mm. it's just brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah all right now you've had a few challenges about being a square peg in a round hole what do you think your biggest challenge has been i think trying to navigate through the horse industry and compete and ride with no money mm-hmm. i think that would be my biggest challenge i've never had any money um the only time i've owned a horse has been in australia it's not, wasn't possible in the uk but i think to find a way to compete in the UK was a huge challenge and not to have great horses but to be able to work with good coaches Mm -hmm. and, you know, horses that are very willing has just been fantastic. But I've made a career out of something that was so outside the box Mm, mm. for me and my family because nobody else has ever been interested remotely interested in horses Mm -hmm. I think was the biggest challenge for me so what about people who might want a career with horses and they want to you know that they're going to be in the same boat that you were in because you've gone on and you've made a career with horses and you know you've done better than average You've, you've certainly done all right what would you say to them what lessons or how have you overcome that to get where you are Never give up and and constantly explore new avenues. Mm -hmm. It may be that you can't afford to buy a horse, but maybe you can find somebody that's got a horse that needs riding or, you know, you've got to put yourself out there. I think a lot of the time we we have to – I worked for virtually nothing for probably the first 10 or 15 years of my life because – you know, working in riding schools in the UK is not the most lucrative of businesses, but I was happy to pull a horse in from the riding school and work it for free mm-hmm. in my yep. own time. Yep. And that led to rides eventing. And I was willing to actually put the extra yards in. And that's what I'd say to anybody that's in horses. In fact, any, anybody that's in any industry, don't expect a free ride. You know, you need to put yourself out there mm-hmm. and go to the extra yard, offer to do stuff. People are very willing. A lot of the time, if they see somebody who wants to put those extra hours to actually put the time into them, I know I do with young coaches, I don't charge them what I probably should do simply because I want to see these young coaches coming up. They're replacing us. Yep. And yep. I'd rather give them an hour of my time for free 
and encourage them to come into the industry than charge them, I don't know, $90 an hour. And they say, oh, no, I'm sorry, I can't afford that. Mm, mm, mm. What do you think then, you know, to do with coach education is a common fault that you see and how can it be fixed? You know, you teach a lot of coaches. What do you think that a general, you know, you might get half a dozen new coaches that say, look, I want to go on, I want to get qualified. What's a common thing that they need to learn? Knowledge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely knowledge. They need to know their subject. And I think it it doesn't matter whether, whether I teach kids at Pony Club or teach adult riders or teach coaches or assess coaches. The thing that really stands out is the ones that have the knowledge and understand their subject. It's relatively easy then to go and teach it because they really understand it. Mm-hmm. But those that don't, it, they really struggle to teach it. And it, it's as simple as that. Explore every possibility to find knowledge. Go mm-hmm. and watch people. I was very lucky in my career. We could go to Burley and Banner and we could go to lecture demonstrations in the UK and we could watch people like Chris Bartle. We could watch the top riders and trainers. Caroline Bradley, I will never forget watching her do a show jumping lesson. And the horses actually never came off the ground. They were not good enough over poles. But it was fascinating mm. to watch mm. this brilliant producer of horses, Tigray and, and Milton. Um, you know, the fact she died so young was tragic because she produced these brilliant horses because she understood her subject. She understood exactly what she wanted from from the riders and from the horses. George Morris is exactly the same, you know? Mm. And you watch these really good trainers and they want their riders to understand. And if the riders don't understand, whether you're a show jumping coach, eventing coach or a, or a dressage coach, if you don't understand your subject and understand it fully, you can't teach it. Mm. And you certainly can't pass it on to riders and or coaches. Yep. Yep. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. All right. Now, thinking about that, you know, to gain knowledge, to have something to complement their skills, have you got a book that you could recommend to our listeners? I've got two again. You're just an overachiever, Tim. I know, I know. That's the way it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, one is New Method of Horsemanship by Francoise Boucher. Boucher. I never can actually pronounce that. And the other one that I read when I was sort of as a student, a working pupil, which isn't so much a book that tells you stuff, but it really sort of inspired me, was My Horses, My Teachers by Podaisky. And in that, he just shows how much horses can teach us, how individual horses, they all had different problems and how he solved them. And to me, that's more an inspirational book than a lot of them out there. But, you know, a lot of a lot of young people won't have heard of Podaisky, but it's well worth a read because it shows you what horses can help you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, what are you looking forward to at the moment? What are you got in the future? What are you planned? Well, last year I bought a three-year-old filly by Sandreo mm-hmm. from Flower Warm Blood Stud. I didn't think I'd ever buy another young horse, but she's absolutely super. She's just working on the ground at the moment, and I'm thoroughly enjoying working with her, so I might go back and do a bit of competition. Mm-hmm. 
But the other thing that I've just started, I saw a, a video on Facebook about a riding equestrian centre in Brixton in, in the middle of London who are helping disadvantaged children. Mm-hmm. And um, I put a call out on Facebook and said, is anybody interested in this? And I was overwhelmed with people who I never thought would be interested. I got about 60 people who said, yes, we would be. If you get anything up and running, we would be really interested. So I've got a few things I've got to explore, but I would really like to establish some kind of equestrian centre where we can help at a much reduced rate and hopefully we can get some funding for it teach disadvantaged kids to ride because with the gang culture, certainly this, this one in Brixton helps with the gang culture get them before they get into the gangs. And, you know, we're having a gang problem in Melbourne at the moment. I would love to see if we can get, not all kids, because not all kids are going to be interested in horses, but if we can get something going where we can teach them to ride horses and if they want to, yeah, make a career path for them to come into horses. Mm-hmm. That's my next project. So yeah. I'm yep. sort of that, that's a re- in its really early stages, and I'm about to ring a program up in the Northern Territory. I'll do that in the next couple of days. It's called Wonga Billa Equestrian Centre, and that's what they do for Indigenous kids. So I'm going to t- talk to them next, and we'll just see if we can put something together. It may come off, it may not. Mm-hmm. That's my sort of project for the next 12 months, I think. I think that's quite inspirational as well. You know, you, you'd sort of helping the two girls from the justice system and doing this, you know, really using horses to the community's benefit, which is great, yeah. Which is what happened with me, you know, and and I think if we can, you know, we can introduce it to a wider audience, which happens more in the UK than it does here because it's a a little bit different here because Mm -hmm. we're much more a competition-based society. But if we can just do something like that, I think it could help a lot. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, if you could summarise your philosophy with horses and just give a message out to people before we say goodbye, that would be brilliant. I think the number one is knowledge. Ride as many horses as possible and try and watch as many riders, good riders and bad riders, as possible. I think one of the most important things I learned when I was in the riding school system in the UK is is watching coaches who weren't very good at their job. And I vowed I'd never or try not to be like that. Mm -hmm. But again, watching really good riders and watching really good and also watching really good young riders. You know, young riders are fascinating because they just they just have so much feel. And if we can develop that feel, we could be one of the best nations in the world. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, something gets lost somewhere and we, we don't get enough really good young riders and coaches coming up. And I think it's the knowledge thing that really is lacking. So, again, I come back to that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Tim, how can people contact you? What's the best way? Well, either on Facebook Mm-hmm. Just Tim Calkin or uh, my mobile number is 0419 And also through EA as well, through the coaching. And those details will be on your page as well, which will be horsechats.com slash Tim Calkin or just go to horsechats.com and search for Tim. And we'll have the links there through to um, the books and, you know, your contact details as well. All right, Tim, thanks very much for talking to us today. Um, Inspirational with your projects that you're working on and your vision for the future. I think that's great and um, wish you all the best and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Thank you very much, Clarence. Thank you. Okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. 
If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.